Welcome to Port City Politics. I'm WHQR News Director Ben Schachman. And I'm Michael Pratt. Okay, on this episode, we've got some pretty landmark Supreme Court decisions to get to that'll impact us here in North Carolina, and then some high-profile firings. But let's start with the, the high court. Yeah, so as you were saying, there were a couple decisions that came from not the North Carolina Supreme Court, but Supreme Court of the United States, two decisions that, uh, that directly related to North Carolina. Uh, the first one was the Harper v. Moore, um, the Moore v. Harper lawsuit uh, that had to do with uh, what has been deemed a dubious legal theory uh, regarding how courts and state, state legislatures can decide federal elections. I mean, tell yeah. us a little bit about this. Yeah, so just a quick piece of backstory. This lawsuit, um, like several others that have come out of North Carolina and gone to either the state's high court or the U.S. Supreme Court, has to do with political gerrymandering, which is allowed up to a point in North Carolina. So basically, this lawsuit was because when... Republicans had the chance to draw congressional maps. And all of this has to do with federal elections. So we're talking about presidential elections and and congressional districts. When Republicans got the chance to draw maps, they did what the Democrats had also done in the past, which was push as hard as they could to give themselves an advantage. And so it was, if I remember correctly, it was 10 Republican-leaning districts and four Democratic-leaning districts and the state's more or less 50-50. It's really one-third Republican, one-third Democratic, one-third unaffiliated. But mm-hmm. at the time, the state Supreme Court ruled, yeah, that's way, too, that's way too much of an advantage for the Republicans based on the political makeup and the voter registration makeup of the state. It just doesn't make – the math isn't mathing is what they said. And so unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, depending on which side of this you're on – a previous case that went, also went to the um, Supreme Court, that's Rucho versus Common Cause, basically said federal courts can't weigh in on political gerrymandering. And so the Republicans wanted to overrule the state court, but they, they kind of uh, had a pyrrhic victory in Rucho versus Common Cause because now they couldn't take this thing to the Supreme Court. So they had to come up with a new theory that could get, sort of get them in the door. And so what they latched on to was something called the independent state legislator theory, which first came up, if you remember Bush versus Gore and the hanging chads and all that fun. Uh, Yes. Um, (laughs) So here's the theory. The theory is that in the U.S. Constitution, it says state legislators, and I I won't go into the super granular details, but basically says state legislators have the right to to decide how elections are held. The, the place, the time, and the manner is sort of the language. And so this theory is that that's not a general prescription. That's an absolute law. So no one else can have anything else to do with how federal elections are run. And so the Republicans were arguing that if that's what's in the Constitution, then state courts can't jump in. No one else can jump in. Interesting. Okay, so this uh, and this one has also gone to the North Carolina Supreme Court as well. Correct. Correct. So the funny part is that 
the Republicans did a very, very good job of getting key justices in place, including state Supreme Court justices in place. So in a very unusual move, the state Supreme Court has already reheard the original case that this all came out of and and went ahead and gave Republicans what they wanted. But this was already in the pipeline for the for the U.S. Supreme Court. So the court heard it and the, the court's been kind of dabbling with uh, the independent state legislator theory or the ISL for a while. And I, I suppose. Tim Moore, state, uh, House Speaker Tim Moore and his colleagues were hoping that the more conservative court would really m- might actually give some favor to their argument. And they shut it down pretty hard because this would effectively say, OK, Republicans could set up federal elections in a way that was in direct violation of the state constitution or even the U.S. Constitution. Um, yeah. And no one could challenge them. That just seemed to bridge too far, even for the for some of the more conservative minded folks. Um, but not for three of them. But not for Clarence Thomas. For one, Clarence Thomas ruled that this was already moot because the Republicans had sort of already won this at the state court. Uh, right. But he was also afraid that this could lead to some kind of chaos. I don't think any of the other justices agreed with him on that. But the, the scenario that some advocates on the right and left were worried about was this basically frees up state legislators to do what they want with a presidential election. And that could include completely ignoring the results of elections for president and sending their own electors and basically uh, chaos, you know. So not good. Yeah, problematic. So Harper versus Moore um, didn't go the Republicans way. And uh, there was some celebrating on the left. Josh Stein was on Twitter saying the people have won. Um, But to be fair, the Republicans still get to do exactly what they want um, because they own the cor- the state courts. Right. And right. so they're going to they do have to draw new congressional maps. They're probably going to draw the same maps, you know, giving themselves 10 seats to the Democrats for that they did that started all of this. So like so many political dramas, um, we went around our butt to get to our elbow. So definitely an interesting one that hopefully we've seen kind of the end of for the time being at least because again this is one that's been going on for years now in North Carolina yeah the other one that's um really going to shake things up was the Supreme Court after years and years and years of sort of inching towards this finally made a landmark ruling on affirmative action and this is another case out of North Carolina I believe the case actually involved um plaintiffs from both Harvard and UNC the UNC system Right, right. So this was um, this is affirmative action. As as far as I know, we're talking affirmative action within college and university administrative, uh, you know, admissions, um, not within the workplace and, um, you know, outside of colleges. Correct. Yeah. And I think um, there's all kind there's, there's all kinds of people who are watching this, you know, including you know, DEI folks in the corporate world. Um, there's probably folks in, you know, government hiring HR offices. Uh, definitely, you know, things like high school magnet programs and early college programs um, are also watching this. But yeah, this is for right now, we're talking about college and university admissions. The basic argument is that Asian Americans were disproportionately punished by affirmative action because by basically stacking the deck 
to help black applicants, um, their argument is that, you know, if they're if those applicants are getting more spots, then someone has to lose. And it was them. And we could get into all the nitty gritty of this of this argument. But I think what's more interesting for me now is that the court has done what it's done now. Right now, what do the colleges and universities here in North Carolina do? Yes. So basically, the the highest court in the land said that Harvard and UNC admissions programs violated the Equal Protection Clause. Um, that's that's pretty pretty damn significant here. Um, so what what are you going to do? How do you you know how do you ensure that you're still getting um, you know good quality and um, diverse student pools? That's kind of the question, and that's kind of the purpose of, um, you know, of affirmative action. But now colleges are not allowed to take race into consideration for the specific basis in admissions. I I believe there's still some nuance to this, right, that you can still. um, I I guess my question is, how are they ever going to know if the admissions uh, accept someone based on race, even if it's not, you know, if it's not a question on there? Um, there might be internal discussions that say, hey, uh, we still need to bring some diversity. Let's make sure that you're picking out a few um, applicants that are black, Latino, Asian or anything other than white. Yeah, I mean, I, as a corollary, I can say in the corporate world, when people are making a hiring decision, they mm-hmm. it would be illegal to say we hired this person specifically because they were black. So if you were a, you know, a nonprofit or a government organization and you said and you put out a job posting and you said we are hiring a for a black person, right? Mm-hmm. That would get you in uh, some <laughs> equal uh, employment opportunity yeah. commission trouble. But right. what, but, you, but what you can say is is that, you know, our organization values diversity and we feel like a variety of viewpoints whether that's gender, sexual orientation, race and ethnicity, age, whatever that we want a diverse group of people because we feel like that helps us you know tackle problems in a in a well-rounded way that sure. that is you're you're free and clear to some extent i wonder if that will be the approach that universities now have to take instead of giving people like some kind of scored system where like your race is actually part of a metric right so here, the, the issue is that if you look at a university like UNCW here in Wilmington Mm-hmm. The university has historically struggled with a lack of racial diversity. I mean, people jokingly call it UNC white, and they're not joking. Because if you look at the admission statistics and the faculty statistics, um, for mm-hmm. a long time, UNCW was whiter than almost any other school out there in the state system. Yeah. And they now have people on staff whose job is to try and fix that. And I would assume that affirmative action was a useful tool and they don't have any more. So yeah, I I don't I don't know exactly what the university system will do. I I know that <laughs> maybe they will have a top-down approach and the UNC system will just say here's what we're going to do, but honestly I don't know. Yeah, I mean it's this is again it's a it's kind of new territory especially with such a conservative uh conservative supreme court and really just I mean we've seen this across the decisions for the past now you know, uh, 16 months or so, or about a year ago when uh, SCOTUS overturned Roe v. Wade, uh, we're seeing a lot of 
pretty significant, pretty historic changes for policies that have been in place and been allowed. Um, so it's not hyperbolic to say that these are going to have some pretty uh, extreme and unknown um, impacts just because, you know, things have been uh, have been the system for so long. I mean, we're talking probably at least 15, 20 years that um, if if not longer, that uh, colleges, universities have been able to use race as one of the deciding factors. Um, so it, it just on the grander scheme, this this SCOTUS um, and these opinions coming out are really, really shaking things up um, that it's just so unknown right now what the actual long term impacts will be. Yeah. And I think the other thing we can say is that, you know, the, the court was in an interesting position when it essentially made a carve out um, for affirmative action because rightly so, the court's opinion is that you don't treat people based on their race, right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of the times that's, we're talking about treating people negatively, that's racism. That's, you know, so it's an undemocratic action. So the court's yeah. against that. But affirmative action is treating someone on the race. So they've been in a sticky position of trying to sort of philosophically make space for that. And they've always sort of argued in various formulations that, well, one day we won't need this anymore. So this isn't, you know, we're not making eternal law here. We're making a temporary carve out from our our principle of race blindness. And it's just been a matter of debate about when are we there? And so I've certainly seen some conservatives saying, oh, yeah, we're there. So it's time to end affirmative action. And uh, other folks, including Justice Brown Jackson, who said, what are you, crazy? No, we're not there at all. But yeah. the, other th- the other thing is that, <laughs> you know, affirmative action was responding to uh, centuries, you know, centuries of horrific treatment of uh, black Americans from slavery to Jim Crow. And, I, you know, it didn't fix things overnight. And so I, I don't know if you're going to be able to really, over the next year, say, oh, here's what's happening. You might be able to, like, sniff out some trends, but yeah. I think it's going to take a while to really see what this does. Um, so I, I, would be, I, just, I would be skeptical of political commentators who, like, in three months say, oh, God, here's what's happening. Right, right. Yeah, because this, is, again, you know, you're going to at least have to wait a few years for uh, – college freshmen now who are being accepted to graduate, see what the graduation rates are, see what the acceptance rates are, make sure that there's actual, you know, cause, not just, you know, correlation here. Um, so one of these long-term things that we really can't put put a finger on just how much of an impact it's going to have, but there are people worried that it is going to have pretty significant impacts. And there's people who are saying, like you said, you know, yeah, this was temporary anyways, it's done. Um, We'll have to kind of wait and see. Um, and we say that a lot, but a lot of the things that we wait and see about, we're talking about like uh, pending legislation with marijuana laws. And uh, usually it's not so serious. So wait and see isn't always our favorite uh, policy here. Unfortunately, it is one that we come across pretty frequently. Yeah. Um, and, it, and, and like I said, it's a lot of this will depend on what other tools that remain legal that universities can use to keep their student populations diverse because i i don't know i don't know many people in college administration or university administration who don't want a diverse student body that reflects the community it serves i think that's 
liberal or conservative, I think everyone's pretty much okay with that idea. But how they do that within the confines of new laws, that I mean, that is a, that is a wait and see because I don't think anyone woke up with a battle plan yesterday. So, <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Um, since we're talking about UNCW, I do want to touch on uh, a little bit of the drama there and the removal of the dean of the Watson College of Education, Van Dempsey. This has been kind of a weird unspooling story that's happened over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. So tell us tell us a little bit about this. Who who is he? So Van Dempsey is the longtime dean of the education college where they teach teachers. And of late, you know, they've they've come under fire by conservatives for being too woke, effectively. Um, uh, UNC yes. UNC Board of Governors member uh, Woody White wrote a, a pretty scathing opinion piece. Um, mm-hmm. condemn, basically condemning the college and, and calling out one professor by name. And a lot of this seems to be in reaction from an award that the college gives every year called the Razor Walker Award, which goes to people who, you know, make significant contributions to the educational world. Uh, right. It's, it's traditionally gone to more liberals than conservatives. Um, I think that is in part because... You know, education is more of a Democratic Party platform issue than it is a Republican one, but also mm-hmm. because it's nomination driven. And we talked to Van Dempsey, who oversees this process as dean, and he said, no, no, prominent conservatives have absolutely received this award. Peter Hans, who's uh, the president of the state college university system, um, is a is a conservative and he he got this award. So it's not. It's not just an automatic trophy for for liberals, but it does lean left. And apparently after uh, the Reverend William Barber and uh, First Lady Kristen Cooper had both won this award, conservatives were getting upset. And so Mm -hmm. in in an article, Van Dempsey uh, spoke to the assembly, uh, our friend of the show, Kevin Maurer, and basically said that the chancellor of UNCW, Aswani Valetti, came to him and I'm paraphrasing here, but said it would be good for you if there was a conservative who won this award this year. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we're we're kind of sorry just to talk about the irony here of coming back to affirmative action in a different way. I mean, this is the similar situation that we're talking about where someone's saying, you know, we're, we're not basing it on race, but we're basing it on your political affiliation. And the the chancellor of a university is telling the dean that nudge nudge or maybe not even nudge maybe it's more like a hey you're going to make sure that a conservative gets this award um and that's that's kind of what happened here it sounds like so the the nominee ended up being michael lee and van dempsey said that he worked with charles faust who's the superintendent of the schools to kind of shape the nomination which was centered around michael lee's work uh getting funding for isaac bear early college uh not going down this rabbit hole but basically It's a STEM-centered school on UNCW campus, Uh, really, really bright students working in really crappy conditions. They're working Mm -hmm. out of trailers, kids eating lunch in in the hallway because there's just no space. Right. And it's just been this weird logjam between the school district and UNCW about who's going to pay for a new facility. Lee worked on this as a state senator, and then when he was on the board of trustees at UNCW, and then again when he was a state senator, he's, he's been pretty tenacious about it. Right. And I think if this had happened last year, it probably 
it, it might have gone a little differently. I can't say. <laughs> but um, in any case, Lee was one of about a dozen nominees, and he didn't score that well because this award is based on scores from a, a panel. And they didn't have anything bad to say about Lee. It was just that some of them felt like getting funding for education, in this case for Isaac Baer, is part of his job as a state senator. It didn't really go above and beyond. Right. So he wasn't one of the finalists, but he did get the award. And uh, I guess his score got boosted to sort of make a more diverse <laughs> outcome. <laughs> um, uh, so, all we're right. going to get some emails for that. Yeah. But hey, look, none of this is to disparage Michael Lee. He, you know, he didn't nominate himself. He had no role in the selection. But when Lee went to get the award, he was protested uh, because he had been a sponsor of the what the left is calling the uh, don't say gay bill. This is Senate Bill 49, I think, which puts some pretty strict regulations on discussing sexuality and would require schools to notify parents if kids change their pronouns. Um, Lots of concerns about this bill from uh, LGBTQ advocates and concerns for me because the language is really vague. Um, yeah. I had a chance to sit down with Michael Lee off the record, and that, that was one of my concerns was that it's hard for me to analyze this bill because the language is just, it's unclear. And so that bill still hasn't passed the House, but anyway, it, it definitely upset people, and I, I could see why, and so they protested him. And to his credit, um, Lee said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm happy to hear your concerns. He was pretty magnanimous about it. Um, mm-hmm. But um, this triggered uh, Wendy Murphy, who is a member of the uh, the big board, as we call it, the Board of Governors. Right. Uh, that oversees the whole system. She sent an angry email the night that Lee got his award saying this was, you know, this was disgusting. How, how do we let such a flagrant display happen? Um, calling and called for heads to roll. And so from that moment, Van Dempsey. So can you clarify, uh, Wendy Murphy, who is she in the which camp, which side of this argument is she on? Is she a conservative or is she? Yeah, she's she's a staunch conservative. And her concern was that, you know, this this protest of Michael Lee was a symptom of things being out of control at the uh, at Watson College. Gotcha. So she had a problem with people expressing their First Amendment rights. My thing is that I haven't had a chance to talk to Wendy Murphy, but it seems to me that college campuses are the place people go to protest stuff. <laughs> you know, like so. <laughs> well, well, now it's school board meetings. And, well, that's true. But it seemed like <laughs> uh, Chancellor Valetti and and Van Dempsey and Michael Lee were all kind of taking this in stride. Like, yeah, people are going to protest right. on campus. Um, I don't know what the solution that would have made Murphy happy, whether that would have been a, you know, young Republicans counter protest or or no First Amendment rights. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Well, but- I, I, I just got to read what Kevin Maurer of the assembly wrote here. Um, Murphy in a email uh, to Dempsey. Valetti and Peter Hans, president of the UNC, uh, she says to say that I embarrassed I am embarrassed right now would be an understatement. How in the world did we get to a place in our society where freedom of speech means you can be disrespectful, unreasonable and unprofessional? How? Let me read that last part again. How in the world did we get to a place in our society where freedom of speech means you can be disrespectful, unreasonable and unprofessional? How did we get there? Um, 
1776 is how we got there. <laughs> I mean, that yeah. is the, how you don't have to be professional. You don't have to be polite. Freedom of speech means just that. So that's just kind of a hilarious question to me of how did we get here? Well, we got here because that is what America is founded on. Because we threw off the shackles of tyranny. Yes. On purpose. <laughs> on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this on the podcast many times is that it is hard work to be a full-throated First Amendment person. It is way harder than you think it is because if you're someone like me who's you know, a slightly left-leaning Jewish person, you have to be okay with Nazis marching. Um, that's tough. And if you're a conservative, you've got to be okay with, uh, you know, a bunch of woke students protesting Michael Lee. It's, that's, <laughs> that's the game. That is, that is the bargain you make when you have the First Amendment. And both sides would like to curtail the other sides. So I always laugh a little bit when people say I'm a First Amendment person. I was like, today, yes, you are. But <laughs> wait and see. Yeah. And it's the yeah. United States, so it doesn't take long. It's like, you know, if you're a fan of free speech, give it a minute. Yeah. All right. So all of us to say um, there was definitely a lot of tension. And it was pretty clear that this was about more than this award, about more than Michael Lee being protested. It is about conservatives feeling that the UNC system has gotten too liberal and that they're indoctrinating students, and in this case, indoctrinating teachers who will go on to indoctrinating students. And I think that's a fair critique. That's that's okay for the conservatives to think that. Mm -hmm. What seemed to bother, and I think that Van Dempsey would be okay with that, um, mm -hmm. from my conversation with him yesterday, I think what bothers people is the kind of underhanded uh, mafioso tactics that they're using to address this. I mean, we saw this with Tim Moore when he kicked Holly Grange off the UNCW Board of Trustees, and apparently this is all related, um, is that hmm. when they were doing the chancellor search, they wanted someone who could help rein in the, um, I don't know, the, the sort of liberal leaningness of the university. And so there's kind of a through line from Tim Moore interfering there to Wendy Murphy interfering here. I also think it's worth pointing out, you know, we just saw this at CFCC, when Ray Funderburk was kicked off the board of trustees there, the mm -hmm. reason they kicked him off was that he didn't go through the appropriate channels. Right. Was that, that was their like above board reason. There's obviously some other stuff going on there, but like their above board reason was that he had a concern and instead of going to the college president and going, mm -hmm. and going through official channels, he like did it himself. Right. And so Wendy Murphy did not go through official channels here. She did not, you know, deliver this issue to the UNCW Board of Trustees. Um, you know, she went right down to the issue and, and went down to staff, basically to a dean. And that, that's, that's got to be concerning and that's got to be resonating around campus. Um, so in any case, uh, Dean Dempsey is no longer Dean Dempsey. They can't fire him because he's a tenured professor. Mm -hmm. And ever since they tried to fire Mike Adams, um, the late Mike Adams, uh, and lost a lot of money. They've been very gun shy and probably smartly so about firing tenured professors, but they they can remove anyone from the dean position. So that's that is what they've done. Um, and it's at least from Van Dempsey's point of view, it was directly retaliatory. Well, so now at the end of the day, I think, you know, my I have a ton of questions here, but um, if the chancellor of the university is did the chancellor just fix an award? I mean, is that is that what's happening here? And if so, 
what repercussions is that chancellor going to face for, you know, if if he's rigging the system saying one way or the other, um, you know, it, this needs to go to a conservative. I mean, that is disingenuous that to, to even think that other people had a had a chance at that award. And once again, you know, not trying to be funny, but that kind of goes back to the whole argument um, that conservatives have made against affirmative action is that the illusion of choice is is there. But in reality, it's already been set because it was told to go to a conservative. I mean, from I just want to be clear, um, the, the university has staunchly refused to discuss this in any way. Um, Valetti declined interview requests, but from Van Dempsey's, but they have not, at the same time, they have not uh, rejected or rebuffed Van Dempsey's account. So that's what Dempsey says is all we have. But yeah, to your point, just to be really clear here, yeah, um, he was told by Valetti to fix an award. So by proxy, Valetti f- fixed this award. One of the things Kevin Maurer asked is, I mean, is this award worth the paper it's printed on anymore? Like next year, if Michael Pratt's won the Razor Walker Award, I mean, they'd be like, oh, I guess we needed like a tattooed libertarian, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like whatever your identity politics are. I'm, you know, like if that's the reason you win and not your contribution to society, I mean, it's it, it kind of hollows it out as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I think that's kind of the. That's kind of the takeaway and the question for me is, you know, what is what is the the purpose of this award anymore if that's if that's what it takes? And again, this is, you know, we got to say allegedly, um, but, you know, that's what let's just assume because we are on the podcast, and not in court. Let's just assume that that is, you know, based off of that story, what would the repercussions be? What would the outcome be? Uh, that's what we're talking about here. Not to say. 100 percent with certainty that that is what happened if it's being you know kept on the kept on the down low we obviously can't say with any 100 percent certainty but that's what we're being told by one side and the other side's just not talking so take what you want from that yeah uh and it's again i I just want to say this one more time for the cheap seats in the back as a journalist i think it's important to be skeptical of institutions even institutions that you like and i think the question about whether it's a good thing or a bad thing that the university leans left should be had, but I don't think it's okay for people in power to just resort to intimidation and pressure tactics when they don't like the outcome. Like we have a democracy, we have, you know, the the UNC system is set up by state statute. You know, this is the way we've agreed to do it, and if you can't respect that. That's a problem. Yeah. And, you know, we've so many arguments. I've seen this year after year after year at UNCW. And um, really, I've seen it a lot more in Wilmington than I have in other places. But all these concerns about, oh, there's so many, uh, you know, just just like this with the, the liberal woke protesters. Well, you know what? It is a college campus and there are going to be more liberal minded students. That's just that's just American university and college culture. Um, and it seems like a lot of grown-ups, a lot of adults are, have a problem with the fact that people have their own opinions and it's largely, you know, liberal leaning in universities. Yeah. So 
put a pin in that because I, I think we need to have some more conversations about the repercussions of this. Um, it's yet yeah. to be it's yet to be determined what's actually going to happen to Van Dempsey. Uh, this is interesting, and he told us this on the record was that they initially came to him with kind of kind of a parachute deal, saying like, "Look, we got to kick you out of your dean spot, but we'll make some things happen for you that'll cushion the blow." But could right. you go ahead and sign this NDA, this non-disparagement agreement? And he ah. and he said, absolutely not. He's like, that's the whole thing we're fighting about here, which is freedom <laughs> of speech. You know, if you can't speak yeah. your piece, if a, if a tenured college professor can't say what they think, whether you're Mike Adams or Van Dempsey, if if yep. that person has no chance of speaking without fear of retaliation, then we're all screwed. <laughs> we're yep. all in trouble, right? So <laughs> that's that's why. So he did not sign the NDA, um, which forced the university to take other measures. So. Not sure how that's going to play out. We'll have more on that next week and in the coming weeks. But certainly the um, the culture wars in the North Carolina University system and really around the country are far from over. Frustrating. Frustrating. All right, one more thing before we go. Um, uh, Shelbourne Stevens is no longer the president of New Hanover Regional, Regional Medical Center. Um, I don't know. There's not too much to say about this. I saw him Thursday morning. At the uh, Wilmington Business Journal Power Breakfast, um, always a hoot, <laughs> and uh, he was there with uh, Jeff Lindsay, uh, who yep. is uh, a high-ranking no- Novant guy, and Lindsay was speaking on the panel. This was a panel about healthcare, and uh, so mm-hmm. Shelburne was just in the audience, and uh, oddly enough, about eight hours later, uh, Shelburne was out, and Lindsay was the interim replacement for him. Um, Shelburne's had a tough two years. He, for like three decades, ran Brunswick County's medical center. Um, and then he was brought in to sort of run the coastal market when Novant took over New Hanover. Right. Uh, it probably had to be the toughest two years of, uh, any hospital administrator. I mean, on top of the pandemic, there were some particular issues with NHRMC, um, culminated last summer with someone dying, waiting for service. In the ER, the feds threatened to pull their Medicaid and Medicare contracts. I mean, things got really, that's about as bad as it gets for a hospital. Yeah, it, it was very, I remember being there and looking into some of that with Ann McAdams, and my God. Yeah, so Novant has, I think it's safe to say, righted the ship a little bit at incredible expense. They've spent, yeah. you know, over $65 million beefing up salaries and trying to buy their way out of a morale problem. Which is not a terrible solution. I just want to say, like, sometimes that's what it takes. Spend a little more money on your people, and that is, that's what causes morale problems. I mean, it, it doesn't take too much sense to realize that. Yeah. So good for them. So the interesting part is, we heard from I heard from five different people who are familiar with the hospital's operations within the span of about a half an hour, um, mm-hmm. starting around four o'clock on Thursday, that all said Shelbourne Stevens had been fired. And so we, we finally got someone from Novant on, on the hook, and they would only confirm that he's no longer with Novant. So you got to use some interesting language like was reportedly fired. <laughs> um, right, I, because, I mean, a lot of employers are like this, not just hospitals. I mean, if, if you get hand from somewhere, uh, a lot of employers, when, when they call for recommendations, someone else, a new company, uh, People have in place the policy that all they will say is that, yes, you were an employee. No, you're not anymore. Um, So it's not an unusual response, but it is, you know, it's a little bit different than, you know, someone who 
was a server over at Cracker Barrel now wants to go to Chili's to say, yes, they were an employee here um, or no, they were fired versus, you know, some such a high ranking position. Yeah. Now, I personally, if you know, I would bet that he was fired. And by that, I include they say, like, you need to resign. <laughs> you know, like that. I yeah. consider that a kind of firing. However, it shows up in the yeah. paperwork. I don't care. Um, if if someone is doing their job and likes it and then they're not doing it, that's that's firing. But what, yeah. we, do, what we don't know, and I want to be clear about this, we don't know that Novant fired Shelbourne Stevens because of his uh, performance in steering the hospital through the pandemic. We don't. There could have been other internal things. It could be. It could be wokeness. It could be. He could be too woke. He could be too conservative. He could have harassed someone or been accused of harassing someone. I don't know. Those are all just hypotheticals. But we really don't know why he's out. So a couple people have suggested that this was a cost-saving measure. I don't know if I give that that much credence. Shelburne is well paid. He makes, yeah. uh, according to State Treasurer Dale Falwell's report on hospital executive compensation that came out, yeah. uh, Shelburne makes almost $800,000 a year. But that's which is which is a lot. But it's not as much as his predecessor, John Gizdick, who makes one point four million dollars a year um, or yeah. the, or Carl Armato, the CEO of uh, Novant, who makes four million dollars a year. So I don't know. I don't know if that's if that's a cost saving measure or if it's just they needed fresh blow there. Um, we may get more answers. We may not. Novant's a private company. And unlike the uh, the good old NHRMC days when it was county owned. Uh, there's there's even less transparency than there used to be. I was going to say, there wasn't a whole lot back then either. I mean, that was kind of a the guise of transparency there. But at least they're more, you know, upfront now about their lack of transparency. They're transparent about their lack of transparency. Yeah, I mean, good for them. Good for them. Let's, let's not pretend anymore. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to leave it. <laughs> um, yeah, put that on. I, I need a T-shirt with that. I appreciate your transparency around your lack of transparency. <laughs> I like it. All right. Well, that's it for this week, and uh, we'll see you next week. All right. See you then.